Hello, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Jason Sarney here with the Fin Maniacs podcast. And we are within a week from the NFL draft that will be kicking off in Cleveland. Very excited for it. And we have a very special guest to the show that Hussam Patel is about to introduce. And I will let the scouting combine duo take it away. Have a fun show, fellas. Hello, Finn Maniacs listeners. Thank you again for tuning in to the Scouting Combine here at Finn Maniacs on the Blue Wire Hustle platform. Brandon, how you doing today, bud? What's up, buddy? You know, six days until the NFL draft starts. You know, I was actually taking just a quick look at your 2021 mock draft, and I saw that your first four pitch were all quarterbacks. But that's for that's a that's a, a topic for. Another day, I'm just excited. You know, each day, I, it's obviously one less day until the NFL draft starts. So now we're under literally less than one week. So I'm definitely pumped. Hey, Brennan, do you remember being in that ESPN club during high school with uh, Mr. May? Yeah. I remember we used to talk a lot about the draft and the upcoming season, too. And, you know, we actually spoke about his cousin, Marcus May, who's with the New York Jets, the right. safety there, too. So it's kind of crazy how we have connections everywhere in the NFL and college as well. And I want to introduce my Desi brother, who covers the Minnesota Vikings for the athletic, Arif Hassan. Arif Baya, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. How's it going? Doing well, doing well, man. How how are you doing, man? What's up? What's crackalacking these days? <laughs> Not much. Just uh, just doing uh, doing a bunch of spreadsheet work, man. It's uh, it's what the draft is to me now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're the draft data aggregator. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm guessing you do some type of, I guess you could say, V lookups, coding in Excel, where you're doing mocks and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of V lookups. A very expensive function in Excel. It really, really breaks the machine sometimes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the the whole point of this is to to try and gather as much information as I can from as many sources as I can. And uh, one of kind of the the hallmarks of of my draft coverage is the uh, consensus big board. So I take. Uh, you know, uh, rankings from essentially 50 right now, but every year we usually get up to 60, 65 um, different experts um, from around traditional media, non-traditional media, bloggers, podcasts, uh, YouTubers, etc., uh, as well as, you know, the people at ESPN, The Athletic, uh, CBS Sports and all that, uh, and and produce a, a board um, that's essentially, consensus is technically the wrong word, but it sounds better, um, a composite of, of all of the rankings together, um, I try not to, uh, you know, average the ranks outright. I think that that uh, leads to a fairly poor process. I instead um, use essentially the, the Rich Hill uh, trade chart point value um, for every ranking and, and use that to kind of rank the prospects. And, you know, I've produced a top 300 every year um, based off of that consensus of, uh, of, of draft analysts. And it's done a pretty good job at, at doing stuff like predicting the draft and um, evaluating player outcomes and even grading team drafts, you know, teams that don't do well by the consensus board, typically, not always, but typically um, don't generate a great draft class from that. This is something I would have liked to do in my business analytics class um, last semester. However, my teacher was not a football fan and I asked her if I could do something like that. She said, oh no, just stick with the business, just figure out a model and stuff like that. And yeah, we'll be okay. We'll do all the tests through Pearson. But enough about that talk. Brennan, start start us off, dude. Yeah. So. You, when you take a look at the NFL draft, right, everybody always talks about which quarterback is going to get drafted where, whether it's going to be a first-round QB, a second-round QB. But to start us off, 
you have probably two of the top offensive linemen, right? You have Panay Sewell, who is, comes in at 6'6", 331. And you have Rayshon Slater, who comes in at 6'3", inches, 315 pounds. These are obviously big bodies that whichever organization drafts these two fellas in six days, you hope that they will be a franchise-changing offensive lineman. So, Arif, I want to ask you, if you're an NFL GM, if you're an NFL owner, and if you're an NFL head coach, which offensive lineman, Panay Sewell or Rayshon Slater, which offensive lineman are you taking first and why? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, with the consensus. Of the 50 boards that I've gathered here, um, Sewell it ranks ahead of, of Slater 47 times, right? You know, a really substantial majority of the time. Or actually, 43, sorry. A really substantial majority of the time. Uh, and and honestly, I think that that's correct when I just take a look at the two play. I like Slater a lot. I mean, I think that he's a remarkable talent. I think that he should be drafted in the top 10. So nothing um, to, to say to, to necessarily knock Slater. But I think that Sewell, um, he uses his size so well. I mean, like, it seems like 15, 16, 17 pounds isn't a ton. But when you get to the difference between 315 and 330, if you can move well at 330, like Mekki Becton, for example, or Tristan right. Wurfs, um, you can do so much because you've got the ability to beat any kind of edge rusher. You've got the ability to fit up against any type of run defense. Um, and you can just move bodies in any way that you want. And you have the ability to kind of um, set the tone. So, for example, the different kinds of pass sets that a bunch of different um, you know, NFL offensive line coaches use, um, you can be aggressive in your pass sets when you're 330 and you've got the ability to move. Whereas if you're 315, you're still fairly big for an offensive lineman. That's true. Um, but you can't necessarily uh, be as aggressive against those, um, you know, twisting nose tackles or even some of the defensive tackles uh, in your aggressive pass sets. You're going to have to kick back a little bit more. And so just having more options available to you um, is always great. And then just, honestly, just on film, I think that, that Sewell is just um, a better looking player. Um, you know, I, I think Slater did really, really well against Chase Young. I mean, that's his hallmark game. But you take a look at some of his other games and, you know, there's a little bit of concern here and there. The arm length issues do kind of show up a little bit. Uh, you know, it's it's not a huge issue for me. Obviously, I still think he's a top 10 guy, but Sewell's the complete package. I think that he's remarkable. And if you just take a look overall, you know, this, this entire offensive lineman class that, you know, they're obviously about to be welcomed in as NFL rookies. The best pass blocker, you know, you take the whole entire offensive lineman class. If you had to give out one award to the best pass blocker, who is your guy? Yeah, I don't know that there is a guy as as like like last year, Andre Dillard would very easily have gotten that award. Right. Um, I don't know that. And, you know, obviously, it's a really remarkable class. I would have given it to Dillard and then and then Jedrick Wills. Right. Um, but uh, or I should say two years ago and then last year. Um, and uh, this year, I don't know that there's like a pure pass blocker that um, I would say is kind of head and shoulders above the rest. I think that um, when you take a look at some of these guys, like you think, hey, Tevin Jenkins, he must be a mean run blocker, but he's actually a really good pass protector. You look at Panay Sewell um, and you say, well, he must be the top offensive lineman. He must be the best pure pass protector. But, you know, Slater does, you know, really remarkably well at getting to his spot. Um, so uh, that one's tough. I guess um, I, I, I would have to say you know, ideal situation, or I guess non-ideal situation, you're up against, you know, an elite edge rusher that's got all the physical tools. You're up against Miles Garrett. Who do I want up against Miles Garrett on third and long? Right. And if, if that's my question, I guess my answer is Penesul, which is such a boring answer, right? Yeah. I just named him the top offensive lineman, and then I named him the best right. pass blocker. But, you know, that's that's my answer to that question. Um, it's It's a little bit different than it is some other years where you've got um, some guys that are really great specialists in pass protection. And if you take a look, you know, the smartest offensive lineman, right? Because obviously guys, if you get drafted in the first and even second round, these are obviously guys who who know the 
the uh, college game so well that now they're, they're able to step right into, you know, bit shoes. And it was a great name that you mentioned, Tristan Wirfs, who was on probably Tom Brady was an absolute blessing that the, that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to draft Wirfs because I think Wirfs, in all honesty, was the best lineman coming out of that class. But coming in now to this 2021 class, who is your now smartest offensive lineman? Yeah, I think uh, I would have to decide between three of them, honestly. I think um, at tackle, I guess I would say probably Brady Christensen. I think that he does just such a really remarkable job picking up blitzes. I think he does um, he he does a little bit helping out like Tristan Hodge and the rest of the, the BYU offensive line kind of set protections too. Um, I mean, he, the, the BYU offense was so fun to watch for a lot of reasons, but that offensive line was incredible. And I think that Christensen just did a really great job um, making sure that everybody, you know, uh, was set and did just a, such a great job doing stuff like picking up stunts, twists, and blitzes. Um, I think uh, at guard, I, I would probably pick Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, just uh, just a remarkable awareness. Um, you know, his ability to kick out and play tackle, obviously, last year was really big. Um, he did it no problem um, in, in the Pac-12. And, and uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I think he had some issues against Oregon. But for the most part, you know, he was just this re really remarkable player. And I think a lot of that just has to do with how uh, intelligent and how um, smart he was at the ability to kind of pick up. And then at center, kind of a boring answer, but Landon Dickerson, I think, is just um, a really, really smart player. I think that there's some some really smart players at center. Um, that's kind of the nature of the position. You're going to find a lot of smart players. Um, you know, Josh Myers, for example, is is not a dummy by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that Landon Dickerson um, is probably, and, and he's also one of the meaner interior offensive linemen too. That's a really good combination to have. Um, so I, I think that I would probably pick Dickerson for his ability um, and, you know, sometimes it's tough to separate because Mac Jones is such a smart quarterback. And, you know, in terms of setting protections, a lot of times it's on the quarterback. But I think um, Dickerson deserves a, a lot of credit for the way um, that they've been able to, to do stuff like fit up against the run and, and um, you know, modify what they do against various fronts. Honestly, I am sweating. Enjoy hearing all of that because I love, love, love this offensive line class. And the offensive line class big board rankings on Finmaniacs will be up before draft day in Cleveland. So go ahead and check that out. The top 100 prospects will be there. We're still on the topic of offensive linemen. linemen. And I want to ask you, Arif, who is the most athletic offensive lineman you have seen um, for this year's class, either interior or as a tackle? Yeah, well, uh, if if I just go by the testing numbers, right, um, which doesn't always translate onto the field, obviously, um, I think that what the most underrated and even probably the best testing athlete is probably Samuel Cosme from Texas. Um, his testing was really, really remarkable. And all the BYU guys tested really well, too. Tristan Hodge, Brady Christensen, all, uh, all had really remarkable tests. Um, but in terms of, like, just, you know, you watch them on uh, on the screen. Like, uh, one, one example of a guy that tested well that I don't think um, is is in that class that, that he tested is probably uh, Creed Humphrey, the center from Oklahoma. Uh, I think the same is probably true of Ben Cleveland. He, he still does move pretty well, but I, I just don't think the testing reflects who he is. Um, but I think the guys that, that move really well, uh, based off of what I saw, um, I think you, you do include Samuel Cosme in that. I think Queen Miners, um, the Wisconsin Whitewater guy, um, just a, a really great example of that. 
And honestly, I'm going to go back to Penny Sewell. I like that's one of the reasons he's the top offensive lineman, right? It's it's that he's just a really remarkable mover. Uh, and and what's really important, I think, is that sometimes you see a guy get up to the second level, do like Kendrick Green, for example, just such a great job getting up at the second level and and cutting people off. Um, you Drew Dahlman, the center from Stanford, does such a great job kind of moving up to the second level, cutting people off and beating linebackers to the spot. So hard to do. Um, but in terms of the full functional body movement, the ability to move backwards, sideways, laterally, you know, win to the wind to the wide zone, um, get your, your kick step on seven step drops, three step drops, you know, make sure that you hit your landmarks and play action in terms of all the types of functional movement that you're asking an offensive lineman to do. It's so hard to beat this boring answer, the Penny Sewell. Like he, he just moves so well in every direction that, uh, you know, you, you take a look at someone like like Drew Dahlman just running to his spot, and you think that might be the the most athletic guy. And probably moving forward, you know, he might be. I mean, it helps that he's a little bit smaller than some of these other guys. But in terms of every aspect of offensive line movement plus strength, I would probably go again with Penny Sewell. That's interesting. You mentioned Samuel Cosme, and then we'll get to Quinn Miners a little bit later. Cosme is six seven three ten. Okay. He's a big, big dude. And he's more so a finesse offensive tackle um, when he played at Texas instead of the original, you know, power run Mahler type of guys Texas is used to having. You know, he can even bulk up even more in the NFL through the strength and conditioning program. And with his frame, you know, he's easily mobile and can shift laterally in a jiffy, which makes him great in a horizontal type of run game. Uh, he's able to move up upfield as well and he's able to attack second level blockers with his long arms and powerful hands uh, Quinn Miners is a fan favorite of the entire Dolphins fan base and we had him on a pod too and I mean he's rose up draft boards and well, some mocks for seeing him seeing him go at pick 36 and I really really think he can be a good starting center in this league now to end off this offensive lineman question who is your sleeper Oh, man, uh, that one's tough. I think I already kind of named it. But I like Kendrick Green a lot, um, the the guard from Illinois. Um, you know, there's uh, – I know that, uh, you know, some of the guys that I really respect, um, you know, Brandon Thorne, for example, really like Stone Forsyth from Florida. Um, and and he's interesting, but he's, like, very up and down. I think Kendrick Green is is a lot better. Like, he's slated to go third, fourth round or something like that. Um, Kendrick Green, I think, is is probably a second round talent. According, to, I'm probably missing something, honestly, because a, a bunch of other people, um, you know, have him have him rated a little bit lower than this. But I think Green is is really great. I think that he's got underrated strength. Like I mentioned, his movement going forward is really fantastic. I think that as a guard, um, it's it's tough to beat a lot of the stuff that he does. Um, and you know, I, I I think that even his numbers, like from a pressure rate, pass rush, win rate perspective, you know, that looks pretty good too. So. I like Kendrick Green a lot. You know, he's probably my top sleeper. I think if I had to pick another one, probably Brady Christensen. Um, you know, he's slated to go in the third. I think that he's also kind of a second round type talent. Yeah, Christensen is really, really moving up boards. And when you take a look at Zach Wilson's tape, it's really Brady Christensen really protecting him really, really well. And Wilson is able to move in the pocket because of him. Brennan, let's go. So staying on the offensive side of the football, we obviously – probably have the highest graded wideout that's coming out of this 2021 class, Alabama's Devon, Devontae Smith, right? We saw his dominance in the national championship game versus Ohio State, but his weight can honestly raise a little bit of eyebrows. You, his current weight right now is 174 pounds. Many people don't really necessarily believe that 174 pounds for a wideout is necessarily first-round talent. So, Eric, do you believe that Smith's 174-pound weight, do you believe that that is a – 
a major concern or do you think weight honestly doesn't matter? It's all about just the, the obvious skill set that we've all seen that Smith has on the football field. And you also remember that he, that he got into his medical recheck in Indianapolis at 166 pounds. That was like last week. Um, so it's, it's not even, you know, one he was listed at 175 self-reported weight at his pro day at 170. And you'd think that he'd shoot higher, not lower. Uh, and then, uh, actually weighed in again, a medical recheck at one, 166. And he didn't do any workouts at that weight. So it's not as if that's the weight that we should evaluate him at in terms of, you know, if we run models and stuff like that. But, um, I, I am concerned, right? I, I think that if there wasn't such a big gap between three and four, in this receiver class, if like, you know, if you had somebody kind of slot into that tier, if you were really high on, for example, Rashad Bateman, which, I mean, I'm a Minnesota guy, of course I'm high on him, but, you know, you could justify saying, hey, you know, this fourth guy, whether it's Elijah Moore or Rondell Moore or Rashad Bateman or Kadarius Tony or whatever, you know, I, I like him enough that the concerns I have about Devonta Smith, I'm going to put him fourth or something like that. But I don't, I don't think that generally speaking, we've got that fourth receiver. That's really all that figured out. So I think that because of that gap, I would, not I would not move him so far down boards that that he's out of like the the top 20 picks or anything like that but I do think that's a really good tiebreaker for like trying to figure out if you want him or Jamar Chase who's obviously he's built really well he put up very similar numbers in the year before in the SEC um and uh Jalen Waddell who also has built concerns but his built concerns aren't nearly as dramatic and he's got you know more big play potential right and so if you're choosing between two smaller guys if you look at the history of smaller guys in the NFL at playing receiver, you know, like Marquise Brown or Sean, I mean, guys that legitimately weighed 170, you know, John Brown, JJ Nelson, you know, all these guys that, that are legitimately below 180 pounds, all of them are speed guys and all of them have pretty good hands. If they were successful, they had pretty good, like Santonio Holmes, like 180 pounds, I think when he came out, um, all of them are speed guys. All of them had really good hands. Smith's hands are good. I don't think that they're as good as, say, Santonio Holmes' hands. I don't think they were as good as Deshaun Jackson's hands. And he's he's fast, but he's not a speed guy. He's not um, the guy that you're constantly asking to do Will Fuller stuff. That you're constantly asking to do Tyreek Hill stuff, right? Um, and if you're not a speed guy, it's just so tough for you to win as a smaller guy. Uh, and so I that's that breaks the tie for me for him and Jalen Waddell. But yeah, I mean, he's beating up on guys that are going in the first round at cornerback, right? He's beating up on guys that are the best in the country at cornerback that are, you know, six feet tall, 190 pounds, right? Um, and he's doing it, not he's not hiding in the slot either. He's doing it on the outside. He has to, you know, win his release. Um, I think that his release skills are a little bit overrated just because, you know, hey, he wins and he's small. He must have a good release and it's good, but it's not. You know, it's not like Devontae Adams good, right? Like he's not, uh, he, like it's not like Chad Ochocinco good off the release. It's good. It's not great. And I, I do have concerns. I think the concerns are both in terms of whether or not he can match up against some of these guys that not only have the size, but have the movement capability to match up with him. Um, and also uh, just his injury durability, right? Like just because he hasn't been hurt in a substantial way yet, as, as far as I know, um, doesn't mean that, you know, those build concerns won't, won't present uh, in in terms of in terms of injury going forward, so yeah, those are all concerns. I think they're major enough concerns that you drop them against other guys, but there just isn't a receiver in, in the fourth, fifth, sixth receiver category that's good enough that you'd leapfrog over him. Well, Brandon is a Kyle Pitts guy for Miami at six. I'm a Devonta Smith guy for Miami at pick six. Other Dolphins fans are either Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, and Jalen Waddle if they do trade down. 
asking you as a Minnesota Vikings fan, what playmaker should Miami pick at number six? I think the most fun guy, if you're maximizing fun, is probably Kyle Pitts. I mean, he's just, goodness, good Lord. Um, he's a ton of fun, right? Um, you know, pairing him with another super athlete, Mike Gusecki, I, I, I can't imagine a more fun offense to design. Um, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to try and figure out who you're gonna, how you're going to cover those guys. Um, but even your uncoverable tight ends, right? Like your George Kittles and your Rob Gronkowski's and your Travis Kelsey's, even they're not as valuable as an elite receiver, like just generally speaking. Um, you know, Pitts is so good, so valuable. And you can do stuff that that you wouldn't, I mean, like he's not an amazing blocker, but he's a willing blocker. You know, I, better at it than I think probably Gusecki and Gusecki improved, I think this year as a blocker. Um, but like, it does give you the option to kind of check into and check out of runs, kind of the stuff that that obviously Bill Belichick was famous for doing with the two tight end set. You know, if they if they lined up in base, they would check into a pass, et cetera. And that's, that, that has a lot of value. But I think, um, for, for my money, I would just, I would just get the receiver. I think that, um, the ability to hit a thousand yards with the tight end is, is great. I think that the ability to hit 1500 yards with the receiver is even better. Uh, and so I would go with probably the top receiver and per, to me, that's Jamar Chase. Um, I, if, if I'm, well, if I'm Miami, I'm probably trading down a couple of spots if I can, but, um, and not, not too dramatic. I'd still want a chance at one of those playmakers, but, um, uh, if I had to pick there, I, I'm probably picking Jamar Chase. I think is probably um, the best receiver in the class. I like what he can do. I don't really see any flags for him in terms of, you know, when you take a look analytically at kind of the red flags for receivers like you do kind of with Smith um, and even a little bit with Jalen Waddell. Um, I think that he slots into any role. You can put him in the slot. You can put him on the outside. You can play him as a flanker or as a Z, whatever you want, right? Um, and so you don't have to worry like, oh, is he going to fit with Parker? It doesn't matter. Just put him wherever you want. Um, so I, I think Jamar Chase is probably the best solution. Um, it's hard for Miami to come away with a pick that isn't fun as hell, though. So, you know. Whatever. Well, I was going I'll, 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 to lead into that. You know, so if you have Jamar Chase going in at, at, at number six, does him opting out the whole 2020 season? Obviously, he opted out for, a, uh, for health. But do you think him opting out the whole 2020 season, does that raise any, any specific questions? Or does that really not do not? I mean, because I always used to say that he really hasn't played any actual football since probably the 2020 national title game versus Clemson. Yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I've seen <laughs> athletes. Care, right? Yeah, I've seen athletes forced to miss seasons for uh, reasons that would that would substantially harm them even more, like injury, right? Like if you have to miss the entire season because of an ACL, you're out for just as long, except you can't work out for half the year, right? Right. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I've seen receivers like break their legs and come back. Like I, that doesn't bother me. And I don't think he has a competitiveness issue. I think that, um, if he did it just to maximize his money, great. You know, the best way for him to maximize his money in Miami is to get 1500 yards every year. I think he'll try to do that. So, um, it, that doesn't bother me. Like, I, I think that the, what bothers me is like, uh, an example like Jalen Twyman who opted out, um, and then, uh, like built his body, I think, incorrectly for his play style, right? Like he got 40 reps on the bench press at his pro day, like great. Um, and then and then he had like the rest of his workouts were awful and he turned from like a penetrating three technique into a nose tackle, but we just don't have like a, a ton of nose tackle reps for him for us to, to be able to evaluate if that was good. I, that didn't happen to Jamar Chase. He, he focused on becoming a good football player just off the field. So that doesn't bother me. 
what did and now we are you know we obviously talked about two of the top offensive linemen. So if the Dolphins do decide to take an offensive lineman with either pitch six or pitch eight, 18, which specific offensive lineman do you think Chris Greer is going to lean towards? I, that's tough. I, I wish I knew a little bit more about kind of what Miami likes to do on their offensive line. Um, you know, my, I could give you that information. So they want big boys around 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", over 300, 10 pounds. They want guys who are a little bit finesse, can move laterally and horizontally if needed to, and it's more so a zone blocking scheme with uh, our RPO power options as well. So using that type of information around pick, 18 pick 36 maybe even pick 50 who could be some of those guys that um chris greer could select yeah well if it's if it's a bigger guy if you want guys above six i know that they, they just added like fluker and eric flowers like you know reasonably big guys i know they drafted austin jackson which uh, you know he's a super athlete um for guys that i think have kind of the appropriate size that have got the ability to be kind of scheme versatile it sounds like you know not just guys that um, that win just on wide zone, kind of like, you know, Cleveland or, or Minnesota. Um, I, I think Trey Smith, for example, is, is, a, is a pretty decent pick in terms, of, uh, in terms of a combination of athleticism and size. I mentioned Ben Cleveland, you know, he's 330 pounds. He moved really well. Um, obviously, Quinn Miners that we already mentioned. Um, th- you know, some of the guys that we already talked about, you know, obviously you, you don't want someone like a Drew Dahlman, you know, who is an athlete, but is just undersized. But there are a ton of guys in this draft that move really well for their size. You know, we mentioned Brady Christensen moves really well for his size. So um, those guys that in those later picks that that could probably do that. And hey, hey actually, I mentioned Stone Forsyth, who's really up and down. Um, you know, if uh, if if Miami's got the ability to coach offensive linemen like New England did, you know, he's a perfect candidate for that kind of thing because the stuff that he does well, he does really well. So. Um, there's kind of a lot of, of offensive linemen in this draft. I don't know, like the super long guys, um, there's not as many. Like you know, Christensen's a good example of one. But um, yeah, I, I think that there's a, there's a couple of guys that can be that scheme versatile. You're not pinned to the idea of undersized athletes that can get to the edge on wide zone um, and, and have got length on the edge. Um, not as many guys with the length on the edge, but everything else, I think the size and, and the speed, you know, that – it's a good offensive line class to find big athletes. So as we move from Dolphin-centric information, let's go around the NFL and specifically in Minnesota. What led to Justin Jefferson's breakout season? I mean, he wasn't one of the first wide receivers drafted. If he was, would he have the same production if he was drafted by George Patton and, and uh, John Elway and produced in Denver? I mean, that's... That's an interesting question. I would say probably he wouldn't have produced the same amount, but we did see good receiver play in Denver for a little bit anyway, before, you know, some injuries hit. Um, but, you know, it just it didn't translate as, into, you know, these gaudy stats, breaking rookie records and stuff like that. Like it really helped that he went to an offense with a quarterback that knows how to put up numbers. You know, you can argue, you know, whether or not Cousins is good or bad or whatever, but I mean, he, he gets yards, right? And so if you're trying to determine if a receiver is going to break some records, get a guy that, that throws for yards and, you know, Cousins does that. So um, I don't know that he would be as productive and catch as much attention but in terms of like, is he good? Is he like, will you see him on the film be good? Like in the way that Allen Robinson was right before, you know, he broke out uh, with Blake Bortles finally throwing to him. Because, um, uh, you know, if you took a look at Allen Robinson film the year before, you know, he broke out of the national scene, I mean, he was killing people. He was so good. Um, you know, I, you know, the same thing kind of true, like, you know, AJ Brown, right? 
Um, I, you would have seen that, I think. Um, the weird thing about Justin Jefferson is not only was he was he not, you know, one of the top four receivers drafted. Obviously, you know, if the Eagles could take a shot at that again, they would have. But um, he also, like, he didn't start the first two games for Minnesota. And in training camp, you know, me and a bunch of the other reporters watching in training camp, he didn't stick out in training camp as a guy that should have pushed for a starting job. I, when he didn't start game one, I was not surprised at all, not remotely, based off of what I saw in training camp. And so for, for him to develop that quickly, you know, I, Minnesota's done a pretty good job developing receivers, but I don't know that the receiver coaching is so good that, you know, they turn this first round pick, right, who's already supposed to be pretty talented, this first round pick from a guy who's a third receiver to the guy that was the top receiver. I think that innately Justin Jefferson, you know, took advantage of the resources he had available to him. So I think that he would have been good everywhere, but would he have produced and broken rookie records? No, it would, it would, it takes a situation where he can be the primary receiver with a quarterback that knows how to get a receiver the ball. So sticking on the uh, Minnesota Vikings side, right, do you believe that general manager Rick Spielman, right, you guys hold obviously the 14th pick in this up upcoming draft. Do you believe that he'll draft an edge, or how do you see how do you see the, those dominoes falling? That's such a – I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, it's so difficult to predict the Vikings. Like, like, there were two years where they were just way easy to predict. You know, Trey Wayne's done, lock it in, pick 11, we know it. You know, Laquan Treadwell, everyone was really confident that that was their guy. I know that Josh Doxon was maybe their guy before that, but, you know, he went to pick before, right? So they didn't get Doxon. They were going to get Treadwell easy. Garrett Bradbury was kind of easy to predict. But for the most part, they've been a really difficult team to figure out, like, who they're going to take. Um, you know, the year that they took Mike Hughes, like, with the no one saw that coming. Just like uh, the year that they took Anthony Barr, no one saw that coming, right? I mean, he was an edge rusher. They were set at the edge. Um, they just converted him to linebacker. So they're a tough team to figure out. They spent all this money on um, defense and free agency. Basically, their entire investment was on defense. They made one trade for an offensive lineman. That was about it. They re-signed a guy. He was like a wide receiver four. It doesn't really matter. Um, so you would think that that would mean that they'd begin to invest in the offense um, in the draft. And, you know, maybe that's the case, right? Um, I could see them picking an offensive lineman. But I could just as easily see them falling in love with Jalen Phillips or Quiddy Pay or any of these other incredible. I I wouldn't even be shocked if they picked Jason Owa at 14, right? Just that kind of athleticism is hard to find. Um, you know, I wouldn't rate him at 14. You know, I think that he's you know the bottom of the first round kind of talent, which is great for him, right? You know, but like I I don't think that he should be picked at 14. But I would not be shocked if the Vikings went out of their way to pick somebody like that, right? He's got length, he's got incredible explosion, he's got speed. Hey, they like that kind of thing. Um, now, uh, Andre Patterson said, uh, like, just yesterday that um, they've done such a good job finding, you know, edge rushers in the middle rounds that maybe don't expect it early. But I don't trust anything any team says right before the draft. So, um, but it is important to keep in mind that they've never drafted an edge rusher in the first two rounds while Spielman was there, right? Ever since he came from Miami to Minnesota, they've never drafted an edge rusher in the first two rounds. On the other hand, they've always had two starting edge rushers, right? They had Jared Allen and Everson Griffin and, uh, you know, Ray Edwards and Brian Robbins, like guys that they could really trust, right? Uh, not to mention Daniel Hunter, right? And so they, they didn't need to draft a guy. So it is kind of an interesting situation. Um, I think given how much they've been harassed by the fan base for not developing an offensive line and investing there, and I think they've invested there. They just, you know, haven't produced good results. Um, I think that they're more likely than not to maybe pick an offensive lineman 
but they could pick like a linebacker and I'd be like, yeah, I get it. You know, Anthony Barr, you know, he's, he's gone. You know, he, he reworked his contract so that there's a void year. They could pick a receiver. I'd be like, I get it. Adam Thielen's old and they need a third receiver. Their third receiver situation is garbage. If they picked a corner, I'd just be like Zimmer just loves picking corners. It doesn't matter. They could have five corners on the roster. He picked my cues, right? Like he'll pick a corner. I don't care. So like they could pick anybody. And, and like, unless it's like a long snapper or a fullback, I, I would get it. They could pick Mac Jones, and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense to me. That's right. And Minnesota has a couple of stuff that they need. You know, a couple of players I have for them with all the information you said. J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, Elijah Vera Tucker, maybe Christian Darisaw. As you said, with the defensive ends in my mock that I came out, the 32-team uh, first-round mock draft with no trades, I have them picking up Greg Rousseau. Now, I listen to, uh, I believe the podcast is Purple Daily, uh, a Minnesota Vikings podcast, and they said it's going to be interesting to see if Spielman and Zimmer pick up the surefire prospect or a developmental prospect. So we're going to see what happens at pick 14. Um, who are some of the teams that could look to trade into the first round, and could the Vikings potentially trade back from pick 14? Yeah, I, I, I think that the Vikings maybe even primarily want to trade back from 14 because they don't have a second round pick. They traded that um, for Unique Ngakwe. Um, and, you know, they got a third rounder back, but it's not the same. There's a lot of talent to be had in the second round. And the Vikings love the second round. It's the third round they don't like. Um, they, they, whenever they have third round picks, they trade back in the third uh, to the point where sometimes they don't even make a third round pick. They just like acquire four picks by trading down, you know, consecutive times, but they love the second round and it must, you know, really burn them not to have a second round pick. So I think trading back in the first makes a lot of sense. If they don't trade back in the first, it would not shock me if they traded a bunch of those thirds to get up into the second. Um, I, I guarantee you'll make at least nine picks this year, maybe 10, maybe 11, but no one's made more picks, uh, you know, per year than Spielman, period. Uh, he made 15 picks last year. My hands hurt after writing about all of them. Huh. Um, you know, he it's nuts what he does, right? Um, he's going to find a way to acquire picks. I'm guessing the second round is going to do it. And the easiest way to acquire picks is to trade back in the first round where you have the most value. Who could trade up? I don't know. Pittsburgh used to never trade up in the draft, and then suddenly they traded up for Devin Bush. Maybe they'll trade up here. Um, you know, the, the, the Patriots could trade up one spot, right? If the Vikings say, hey, uh, you know, I, the Vikings have traded down one spot a couple of times. They traded down uh, with uh, Cleveland uh, in 2012, so the Cleveland could pick Trent Richardson. The Vikings, of course, got the better of the deal by getting Trent by by getting Matt Khalil, two incredibly great players that have uh, helped their franchises a lot. Uh, and then they also traded back one spot again um, at eight to nine, so the Cleveland could get Justin Gilbert, and the Vikings got Anthony Barr. So they're comfortable trading down one spot and you know convincing teams that there's a market. Right. And say, hey, they could say, hey, Washington wants this pick. They want to trade up for a quarterback. Um, we'll trade down one spot so you can get your quarterback and we'll pick up like a fifth. And then they'll use that, you know, fifth or fourth or whatever to trade up in the second. Or they could trade up all the way, you know, trade all the way down to, to 19, pick up a third, trade down to 20, whatever, um, with maybe the Browns or whoever. Um, maybe, hey, the Dolphins, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, if, if, there's a, if there's a falling, you know, if they, the Dolphins pick an offensive lineman, say, you know, the say the Bengals don't pick Sewell, say the Dolphins pick Sewell, right? Uh, and then they decide they want to get a playmaker. Um, say Devonta Smith starts falling. You know, the Vikings could trade down and, and the Dolphins could get that guy. You know, Jacksonville has, has a pick. The Jets have a pick, right? Um, outside of, you know, those, those ones that they have at the top, they've got, you know, a couple of picks later on, right? Uh, I could see a trade there. 
Um, I could see them uh, attempt to trade all the way down to, you know, maybe the Ravens for the first time in their friggin' lives decide to trade up, right? So, like, um, I, I would not be shocked if the Vikings find a way to trade down to the 20s or even the 30s. Um, I just, I'm pretty, like, someone mentioned the Chicago Bears trading up. I don't think they want to give the Bears a franchise quarterback or anything like that. So I think so, they'll avoid trading within division. But uh, everything else, I mean, that's all fair game. This draft is going to be so intriguing come night one and as a draft data aggregator that's your um <laughs> i guess that's your name now okay a lot of people are saying there could be eight to nine offensive linemen picked within the first round how does the how does that compare historically from the last two three drafts uh i mean it would be i don't think it's a record but i think that it would be up there in terms of like the top three in terms of the most offensive linemen picked in a round i want to recheck on like the david DeCastro draft and see if you know maybe that was um, a pretty heavy offensive line draft. But I, I think for the most part, it would be difficult to find a draft very similar to that. Last year was a great offensive line draft and they didn't have that many. So um, yeah, compared to, I mean, like you could set a couple of really interesting records in this draft. It can be the longest before a defensive player gets picked. Um, you could have the most uh, quarterbacks picked in the shortest span of time. Like four quarterbacks in the top 10 picks has never happened before. Um, five quarterbacks in the first round has only happened a couple of times. Um, if, if ever, I want to say, yeah, it was like the Lamar Jackson was the fifth quarterback so it is possible but in the first 15 picks it's never happened um so there's a and, and then concurrently you could just have a bunch of offensive linemen go it really depends on what people think of like players like liam eikenberg or tevin jenkins or whoever um samuel cosme right these guys that are kind of sitting um at the at the bottom of the first round you can even see a surprise right remember when uh you know the, te the texans picked titus howard it would not shock me if for example um you saw that with um Oh, God, the name slipped. Uh, I was going to come up with a great name for that kind of surprise, but now I don't know it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see all, all sorts of things happen in terms of just grabbing just these really random, um, bizarre, odd offensive line picks, right? Um, yeah. You could even see Jalen Mayfield or Aaron Banks sneak into the first round. I don't think those would be great picks, but I can totally see it happening, um, you know, sneaking up into the first round. So, um, yeah, I, I, could, I could totally see any of these things happening for sure. So Usam's, you know, Usam's first first mock draft, he had four quarterbacks selected with 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 the first four picks. So how do you see how do you see the first four picks going on 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 night one? So you looked at the Jacksonville Jets, Niners, and Falcons. How do you see those first four picks? Do you see do you do you agree with Usam and have all four quarterbacks, or do you somehow see maybe a wideout offensive lineman? How do you see in from your eyes? How do you see the first four four picks falling? I think it would be the correct decision for all four of those teams to do that. Um, so, uh, you know, teams don't always make the correct decision. And, hey, I'm wrong all the time, too, right? Okay. So maybe it wouldn't be the correct decision and they actually do the right thing, and, you know, draft Kyle Pitts or whatever, right? Um, but I, I, think, I think the most likely scenario is that the Falcons still think, despite the fact that they were just an awful team, the only team they could beat was the Vikings. Um, the, the, the fa despite the fact that they were an awful team last year, I think the Falcons think that they've got a, a playoff window available to them. Uh, and if that's the case, they're going to help Matt Ryan out, you know, either by adding a defender or because of the nature of this draft, likely an offensive player. Um, Kyle Pitts would be a perfect fit in any offense, but I think in particular would be a great fit in the Atlanta offense. So that would be a lot of fun to watch. I think that that would be a, a pretty interesting decision. I think if Atlanta doesn't want to pick a quarterback, they should trade down. Um, but, you know, that doesn't happen sometimes. So 
Uh, I think that the best scenario is not necessarily the most likely scenario. I think that more likely than not, the Falcons still want to, and, and Matt Ryan's contract is is even more immovable than Cousins right now. I think that it's guaranteed for more than, than Cousins is over the next two years. So um, it would be a difficult challenge for them to figure out how that quarterback room works. But I think that that's the one thing that you can just make work. Like you can figure it out. Like, oh no, we drafted Trey Lance. What are we going to do? You'll figure it out. Um, but I, I think more likely than not, they're going to attempt to um, bolster their, their you know, this year odds by, by grabbing a guy they can slot in right away. If a team does take a chance on Trey, Trey Lance, do you somehow see it as like a, as like a Jordan Love scenario where you, you, sit, you kind of sit behind a quarterback for two, three years before, before Love will obviously get his shot? Or how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Lance is like 300 lifetime career throws. That includes high school. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, Patrick Mahomes had 300 throws in, like, two weeks in college, right? Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's, 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 it's bizarre. Like, he had 16 yeah. throws a game, and he was a starter for one year plus one game. Uh, and, and it is so t- – and a lot of those were, like, play action – like, he rolled out, like, 18% of the time, and, and that doesn't even include the other types of play action he had. Like, he was – uh, in an offense that looks a lot like a lot of modern NFL offenses. And he had to do stuff with regards to protections and stuff like that. But like, if you throw 16, if you have 178 throws in college at the FCS level, I don't think anybody could do that and be ready. I think that if Peyton Manning decided instead of going to Tennessee, went to North Dakota state and they only let him throw 150 times for whatever reason, he was not going to start day one for the Colts. Like, I, I don't think anybody could do that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that he would have to sit. It would be kind of like a Jordan Love situation, except the Jordan Love situation is funny because there's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't think Trey Lance is going anywhere right. where there's a Hall of Fame. Well, it depends if what you think of Matt Ryan, but pro- probably not, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I think that it's it's going to be a situation where he has to sit for a year. I guess in Jordan Love's case too. So you recently came out with an article detailing the difference between a talent evaluator and a talent forecaster itself fans all over the 32 nfl teams and especially here on twitter they hate their gms because oh they made really they made one bad selection in the fifth round they made one bad selection in the third round oh the first first round draft pick is an absolute bust after his first season i mean come on guys players develop during a three, four year span. So I want to ask you, who's better at predicting players and their outcomes? Is it talent forecasters such as draft analysts or talent evaluators such as scouts and NFL personnel? Um, It's actually actually kind of um, an interesting split because the media boards that I use for this, um, the forecasters are actually the ones that actually talk to the NFL scouts and the evaluators are the ones that have to make their own decisions by watching the film themselves. So um, it, it is, it's kind of tough, right? Because the forecasters are the ones that have the ability to, based on their conversations with the NFL, do a better job of predicting how the draft will do. And the draft, you know, for as, as much as people call it a crapshoot, is actually a fairly efficient method for determining who the best players are. It does a reasonable job of figuring out who's going to be the best player in the NFL or the best player from a draft class uh, in an ordered system all the way down. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's tough to do to, to figure out how players are going to do in the NFL. Right. And so, um, the draft is a fairly efficient method for, um, determining kind of what player outcomes will be kind of going forward. Um, and 
I, I get like fans get upset when their GM makes bet, but not everybody can have like the New Orleans 2017 draft. Like that's impossible, right? Like the Ravens have missed on it. The Ravens drafted like Hayden Hurst, right? Like this happens, right? Um, so um, they drafted Hayden Hurst before Lamar Jackson, right? <laughs> like it, it, these things happen. And Ozzie Newsom is the best evaluator of talent, if there is one, um, that the NFL has seen in the past 10, 20 years. So um that happens. But in terms of being able to predict outcomes better um, between the two boards, the guys that have access to um, medical information, character concerns, the scouts, those are the guys that I call the forecasters because they predict the draft a little bit better. Um, those guys are actually not that better at determining outcomes than um, the aggregation I have of all of these um, blogs and analysts that rely kind of solely on the film, um, which is to say that even though they do a better job at predicting how the draft goes, and even though the draft is very good at determining player outcomes, evaluators will kind of find the players that slip through the cracks of that process and do a pretty good job at figuring out which players are talented regardless. So if you just take a look at the two of them side by side, you compare forecasters versus evaluators, and you see kind of you stack them up and you take a look over the past five years where they've disagreed the most and how those players have done. Um, they come out to about even. Now, if you kind of prefer to take shots at quarterback, then forecasters kind of come out ahead um, because they do tend to prioritize quarterbacks a little bit more than evaluators do. And again, evaluators are those kind of the, the analysts that kind of rely almost exclusively on footage, um, usually broadcast footage, some of them have access to all 22 and stuff like that. Um, but they were like, for example, they were down a little bit more on like Sam Darnold and, and so on. Uh, and so they were, they were maybe, it, they didn't like Mitch Trubisky, whereas the forecasters did like Mitch Trubisky because the league liked Mitch Trubisky. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would argue that unless you're, you, you think that it is appropriate for a team to constantly take shots at quarterback, which I think there's a good argument for it, um, I, I would say that they're about even. So before we end off this podcast, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite brown dish or daisy dish? <laughs> man, um... Maybe Do not say Thorkari, man. That is, that is the most I was, I was, simple I was thinking, answer. I was thinking, I was thinking Rogan Josh. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, or with lamb, um, and uh, oh, geez, I think I think naan is great. I think it's overrated. Uh, <laughs> what? Well, I, it is. It is. I mean, just take a look at. Um, I'm I'm so bad at being brown. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's like I'm blanking. Like, what kind of roti is it? Where it's a laminated dough and it's curled, uh, and it's and it's the the layers are separated with butter. You mean shirma? No, it's like kind of sweet. Chapati, uh, parata. No, okay, I'm, I've I've tweeted about this before. I'm gonna figure this out. Uh, <laughs> hey, how about this? hey, how about this question? What was your reaction to the 2017 Minneapolis miracle? Oh man, <laughs> I lost my mind. I'm of course an objective reporter. Uh, <laughs> that where never, where, oh, where were you when when it happened? I was at home. I, at the time, I didn't have uh, the ability to travel with the team. I could only go to home games. I was thinking of the Philadelphia Diggs. game the, the week after. No, I was at the stadium. Holy okay, Diggs. Diggs, yeah. so I didn't actually I didn't actually hear the Joe Buck call until later. Um, but um, I, I, I don't know. Like, the press box was, like, nuts, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's funny, too, because I've been in, I've been in plenty of press boxes, and the, obviously the, the number one rule is you can't cheer. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, and and I wouldn't say that there was a lot of cheering in that press box, but there was a lot of very, very audible. Oh, I just remembered the is Porta. I, I love oh, Porta. Yeah, gotcha. God, I love Porta. Gotcha. Um, so uh, we actually got to go, guys. This was actually <laughs> super, uh, super fun. This was super fun. Arif, before you leave, drop your Twitter. Yeah, at Arifasan NFL, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N, NFL. Um, I, I always pronounce it the white way, but um, that's uh, that's where you can find me. Uh, you can always find me arguing with uh, with random idiots I shouldn't be arguing with. As always, Finmaniacs listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great weekend and enjoy your Monday, upcoming Monday. We'll see you in Cleveland during the draft. Fins up, everybody. Uh-huh.